Somalia is on the verge of unprecedented famine. The UN is warning the nation is facing its worst drought in decades. Millions of people are in desperate need. But is aid alone enough? And can a humanitarian disaster be averted? I am Hashim Ahbarra, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guest, Imogadishu Adam Ahersi, the Somali Minister of State for the Environment and Climate Change. He's also the former Deputy Chair of the National Drought Response Committee. In Geneva, we have Martin Griffiths, the United Nations Under Secretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief Coordinator. And in Nairobi, Samira Gaid, Executive Director of the Hiral Institute, an independent security think tank based in Somalia. Welcome to the program. Let me start with uh, Mr. Griffiths, you've, you paid a visit to Somalia. Uh, you witnessed the impact of the drought. Could you tell us more about the scope and the magnitude of the crisis? Yes, when I was in Somalia, which was about a few weeks ago, as you know, um, there was an announcement by something called the Famine Review Committee. It's a global analytic committee, which said in terms that there will be a famine in specific areas, particularly of southwest Somalia, within the period of October to December of this year, unless there is an extraordinary humanitarian uh, effort to prevent it. And uh, it, this is because we've had four failed rainy seasons. A fifth is due in the last months of this year, and it's due to fail. And we even fe fear a sixth failing in the early months of next year. So we know that there are about 300,000 people at risk in those specific parts of Southwest Somalia that have been flagged for famine. We also know perhaps an even more appalling statistic is that in the famine that took over a quarter of a million lives a decade ago in Somalia, mm -hmm. half of those who died died before famine was formally announced. So it's not unreasonable to assume that many deaths are happening even now, possibly out of sight, possibly in areas where security is difficult. So we're in very, very serious straits now. The race is on, famine's knocking at the door. And this brings me to ask Mr. Adam about what's the government doing, because uh, Adam, as, as you might have heard from many aid workers in Somalia, the biggest concern is that the government's actions so far might be too little too late, given the fact that at least half a million children are at risk of death. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, the, the fact that uh, we have created SODMA actually uh, revamped SODMA, Somalia Drug, uh, a, a Drought uh, a Disaster Management uh, Agency, which is a governmental independent organization that comes under the Ministry of Interior. And the president of Somalia appointed uh, a special envoy in his first week or days in office, shows that we were serious about the droughts. Uh, the committee I was part of, actually the deputy chair of, was created by the former prime minister. So droughts were happening in the middle of an electoral crisis. When the crisis stopped and we had elections and this uh, government came into place, uh, we moved uh, with the speed and we started uh, revamping SODMA. 
SONMA is operational now, working hand in hand with uh, UN OCHA and WFP and other uh, aid organizations. And the special envoy is also working actively to solicit uh, resources for the droughts. Mm -hmm. So part, basically, that's what we are doing in terms of uh, okay. responding to those uh, a crises caused by, caused by climate crisis. Uh, we didn't play no part in, in exacerbating. Martin, to those who are watching the situation unfolding in Somalia, they're just wondering why is it taking the United Nations too long to declare famine in Somalia? Why is, is the process itself complicated? Is it because of this conservative, cautious approach before coming to the point where you say officially there is famine in Somalia? What is it, what is, what, what, what is it at, at stake there, at play there? I think, yeah, I mean, it's a very good question. There, there has been developed over many, many years this extremely strict analysis based on three indicators levels of malnutrition, levels of food insecurity, levels of maternal mortality, that only when these indicators, the, the green lights go on, is famine finally formally announced. And the reason why it's important to be careful about this is famine is not, as you know, like hunger. Famine is different. Famine is a viral phenomenon which uh, destroys lives and indeed takes away children first principally through disease. We need to be extremely careful about being clear that this is not just hunger, not just food insecurity, this will be famine. And the response to famine differs also. And what the humanitarian agencies in Somalia with the government, with Adam's people are doing, they're trying to ensure that those who need it, and I want to come back to that, and the difficulty of getting to them, those who need it get food, yes, but also get healthcare, and safe water and sanitation, because the people who die early in famine die of cholera and waterborne diseases. Hunger consumes them, but it's, it's disease that takes them off. So you have to treat those suffering from famine in a very particular way. That's what the agencies are seeking to do at the moment. But I have no doubt that we are seeing famine on our watch in Somalia. And it is the first of, I fear, more to be announced in the Horn of Africa. Samira, we are on the brink of a catastrophic famine in Somalia. Aid agencies have been sounding the alarm for quite some time, but we don't get a sense that the international community is really committed to stepping in as soon as possible to try to contain this crisis. Yes, unfortunately, not just the international community, even Somali local actors. And I really think this is because there's so many competing priorities, especially in the Horn of Africa. We have conflicts in uh, Tigray, we have the Sudan crisis, and then, of course, the Ukraine war. And because of all of this, and then there is the fatigue that this is constantly happening in Somalia, we have recurrent drought, recurrent floods. Because of this, you get the sense that people are kind of tired of this, and so we don't get the response that we need. But really, I think this is the worst that we've had in four decades and it's really time to shift attention to Somalia. Adam, we can see those somber pictures of tiny, emaciated patients in different makeshift uh, camps. And uh, one of the concerns in 2011, one of the biggest problems, in fact, in 2011 famine was that 
the most desperate were basically in areas under the control of al-Shabaab. And al-Shabaab was using that famine to win the hearts and minds of people, trying to block and deliver, uh, to block or burn uh, aid deliveries. It was accused by the UN for contributing to the crisis. Do you have similar concern this time that in those areas it could be just too late? What we're trying to do is to prevent the situation that you have uh, just mentioned. There are hot spots that where the malnutrition is severe. And those hot spots are uh, concentrated in Baidoa and Burhakaba and Southwest State in general and few other places in, in other federal member states. Uh, these are the, where the IDBs are concentrated. Mm -hmm. Now, IDBs came from villages. They were farming villagers and, and pastoralists. Uh, the IDB we are trying to, what we are trying to do is to help those IDBs uh, to uh, not only leave, but also uh, restart their livelihoods back in, into their villages. Yes, we are worried about it, but we also are confident that if everybody chips in and we can get all the support we can garner, we think we can avert a famine and, and, and mitigate the drought. Martin, people had to, to walk for thousands of miles, hundreds of miles to get to the makeshift uh, camps. Mass exodus towards Baidawa, she has become somehow the focal point now of the, uh, of the crisis. About 800,000 people moving to that vast area. Many are saying that in areas under the control of Shabab, it's difficult for many people uh, to, uh, to flee. How are you able to assess the situation, particularly in those areas under the control of al-Shabaab. Do we get a sense of clarity about the magnitude of this particular crisis in those areas under the control of al-Shabaab? Well, I think it's a very good question because as awful as the scenes that you are, thank goodness you are showing on, your, on the screens, what we fear is that that's nothing in comparison to the scenes that may be playing out right now in those places from which people have walked. In other words, in their places of origin, many of them, as you say, under the control of Shabab. But we estimate that only about 10% of the places where people are suffering are probably under the control of Shabab. And even there, it may be possible with the extraordinary fortitude and courage of Somali frontline responders be able to get uh, to the people there what they need. But what we fear is that the people who don't walk are the ones who may be suffering even more. And when we get to them, we will see scenes which will make even the current uh, images that we're seeing on our televisions look pale. And I want to make one additional quick point about international uh, support. I'm from the North. It's people like me with my habits and my responsibility for climate change which have caused this. Nobody in Somalia is responsible for this catastrophe, this four failed rainy seasons, this fifth and sixth to come, unprecedented, as we have said. And yet, Somalia, which only produces less than 1% of carbon emissions, has yet to receive a penny of climate financing, which has been promised in the billions, as we know, and indeed Africa as a whole has only received 4% of climate finance. So yes, it's true about the war in Ukraine taking our attention elsewhere. Yes, mm -hmm. it's true that war has spiked prices 
as the woman in your introduction said, yes, it's true that donor uh, budgets are stretched. All of this is true. The climate finance was promised for exactly the purpose that we see ready and willing and needing in Somalia. Samira, while we're talking about the, the potential for a massive tragedy there, we tend sometimes to forget that, plus, plus the fact that you have to deal with famine, you have the outbreak of many diseases, you have pneumonia, you have measles, you have cholera, and uh, all this, when they come together, along with the problems that nation faces, a nation that has been battered by decades of war instability and poverty, it just looks like a, a scenario for a huge tragedy. Yes, it's quite unfortunate. I think the reason why, you know, these famines, these droughts are common in the Horn of Africa. You have Kenya responding to it. You have Ethiopia responding to it. But the biggest challenge is because of Somalia's state and the three-decade-long, you know, civil war that has just now we have, emerged of, we have emerged from. Because of all these factors, then you find our responses are not as they should be because of the territory that's still controlled by al-Shabaab that we don't have full control over. Then you find that the population is really at, um, you know, disadvantaged and at really high risk. And for all these reasons that really we should shift our attention to this nation that doesn't have the capabilities that others do have. Martin, I do have some concerns here, which are basically because of what's happening globally, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, other political and global problems. People tend to forget that just next to, to Somalia, we're talking about a huge area, which is the Horn of Africa, where you have Kenya, Ethiopia, you have Somalia, you have Djibouti, where 66 million people could possibly be food insecure? Yeah, six million people, many of them, by the way, whose way of life is never going to come back. We have all spoken to people in these drought areas, and they tell us they have lost livestock now more than once, and it is not possible for them to resume what has been their way of life for generations. So this is an existential threat to the way they live, and it's an astonishing statistic. But Somalia has the highest urbanization rate in the world. And the reason is, of course, because of exactly what we're talking about, is that people need to walk to get to places to find new livelihoods. Now, finding a new livelihood is not quite as important as saving lives, but we need to save lives for the purpose and in the context and with a framework of giving those families a chance for the future. That's why, as I say, climate finance needs to come urgently. Not, mm -hmm. I mean, it should have come months ago. We, we managed together with the government to avert the famine four years ago, as mm -hmm. you know, in Somalia. We did it because there was enough money up front to prevent the deaths. This year, I'm very afraid to say we are not going to repeat that success. I have That's a follow-up question with you, Mr. Martin, if you don't mind. How much money do you need now to be able to say I can contain the crisis in Somalia? When I was in Somalia, I said we needed a billion, a billion dollars. We've received a billion dollars. It seems like an awful lot of money, but these days we need about a billion to get us through what I think is going to be another six to nine months of huge, huge tragedy because I think we'll get two more rainy seasons failed, and that's absolutely unprecedented. The scenes we saw in 84 are going to happen again. And you know what happened in 84? We had a global movement of solidarity uh, that, that, that spoke up and that raised money and was once in solidarity with people. We're not seeing that yet, despite what's happening in Somalia. 
And I think it is because attention is elsewhere. We have to raise that consciousness as well, but with a message that if we do get good funding, we can save thousands and thousands of lives. There's no question. We've seen it done. Mm -hmm. Adam, from your experience as a former deputy chair of the National Drought uh, Response Committee, could you tell us about the, uh, the, the challenges that you're facing as we speak? What are the immediate needs that should be there for the people of Somalia to be able to overcome this unfolding tragedy? Of course, uh, first thing people need is uh, aid on time and access to, to aid in the places that they most need are concentrated. I want to also mention something that Martin Griffith has said about uh, climate fi finance. Somalis are suffering a climate crisis a, the, they were not part of creating. A, last 40 years, they didn't see a drought like this. And there, is, there are four consecutive uh, rainy seasons that failed. Uh, droughts happen uh, once every 10 years. Now they are happening every other year, if not every year. And that's because of the climate change, the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's, uh, it is fair to say uh, Somalis are bearing the, the, the brunt of the climate change. Uh, it is climate crisis in Somalia. And whoever is financing or trying to mitigate the climate crisis or a, a providing funds to this adaptation of, of uh, the climate uh, adversity, I think they will have to focus on Somalia untimely. Uh, back to your question about what mm -hmm. people need. People need uh, access to aid. Uh, they need uh, safety in their uh, places. They need to be able to to come to the places where there is aid, or they need to access aid where they are before they leave their small villages and, and, and camel camps. That's what they need the most right now. Samira, are we talking about the need to rethink the way local communities in the Horn Africa should live their future, given the fact that we're talking about prolonged cycles of uh, drought, climate change, and this is something which is likely to become uh, a fate in a way or another. Yeah, I really believe that, you know, we are at that stage. Uh, Somalia has been consistently facing, you know, recurrent droughts, recurrent flooding, just like the minister just mentioned. Uh, we, in, I think between 2014 and 2016, the river Shavele uh, dried out, I think, four times. Uh, we've seen that, you know, there's low rainfall in the Ethiopian highlands that provide water to Somalia, the groundwater that we receive to Somalia. And then there is, of course, the dam, uh, dam activities also reducing the flows to Somalia. So this is not going away soon. Uh, climate mm -hmm. change is affecting how things are happening. In Somalia. And because of all these reasons, I think we should, in fact, focus first on Somalia's institution building because our response, the reason why this is such a crisis in Somalia and not a crisis in other countries that neighbor us, is okay. because of our institutions and our ability to respond well. So I think the first place is working with government, mm -hmm. existing government, rebuild its institutions, and then come up with ways with which we can provide livelihoods okay. that are independent of, you know, um, agriculture and all of these things that have currently been happening. Martin, we focused our, our debate on Somalia and then we move to the Horn of Africa but you look at the vast territory that stretches all the way from the Horn of Africa towards sub-Saharan Africa bigger than Europe with a massive population there the same trend the same pattern a potential for prolonged droughts and also potential for famine however 
This time, if you go to the UN, you talk to world leaders, I think they seem to be really busy with what's going on in the Ukraine to the point where people are not really in a mood to deliver, to provide assistance now. What do you think we should be doing to move forward? Well, you're right. There's a certain bandwidth of international attention that I've noticed and that we've all witnessed. Um, there's a limited amount of attention that the international community, you know, has at its at its uh, at its whim. And Ukraine, of course, is taking the oxygen uh, in a huge way. But what was interesting that in the so-called high-level week in New York about a week ago, I was really pleased to see that this issue of climate and famine and floods, of course, look at Pakistan, where I was also recently, is beginning to get some traction into getting attention. And this is, I think, also important because this is about injustice. This is about an injustice, as Adam was saying. People of Somalia have done nothing to create this. They are the ones going to teach a hard lesson to people like me about the consequences of my behavior that they are living out. And I think that we mm -hmm. should be mobilizing international opinion, official, unofficial, civil society, youth, uh, to be aware of our obligations to people in the world, not only to people in our neighborhood. It's incredibly important. Thank you. And we've seen it work before. I'm absolutely positive we can see it work again. We may be a little late for Somalia, but as mm -hmm. you say, there are other parts of Africa when Ethiopia, God forbid, Thank you. famine in the Somali region. We'll Let, see even worse to come. Let's hope the international community takes action and brings back hope to the people of Somalia and many people in different parts of the world. Martin Griffiths, Adam Auherzi, Samir Agad. I really appreciate your insight and looking forward to talking to you in the near future. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohammed Al Aishi, Nihad Al Abdi, Sarah Gill, and Jimmy Gitahan. Studio sound was by Ranjeh Gurian. The program was edited by Vishnu Shila, Lynn Gwynn, and Jody Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Friday.